Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Downrange. It's Cody today, joined by Jared Dolfler, author of an amazing weekly newsletter called The Perfect Putt, focuses on the business side of golf. If you want to find out more about The Perfect Putt newsletter, please visit Jared on Twitter. His handle is in the show notes below. There's crazy the similarities that we have, both growing up in cold weather states, trying to play the most golf that we can. And what originally started as this podcast, kind of shedding more light on his newsletter, quickly turned into conversations about relationships with your father, with your friends, what golf means to you, a little bit of parenthood, and everything else in between. Thank you for Jared for coming on the podcast. This podcast, of course, sponsored by our friends at Mr. Ma Golf. Listen, they have a lot of new stuff coming in over on their website. They have some cool cotton sweaters that are up there now. They have new merchandise coming in, which is going to include some polos, some wool caps, some new quarter zips, you name it. Everything that you can find from Mr. Ma over on their website at mrmagolf.com. They're going to have new drops coming throughout December, so keep your eyes out on that. If you want to be notified of when these new products are coming out, please follow them on Instagram at Mr. Ma Golf. And for December, continuing their free ground shipping on all orders in the United States with no minimum there. Every purchase, of course, goes back into sponsoring adaptive athletes events and overall programming for injured veteran golfers as well as others in the adaptive golf community. Phenomenal, phenomenal company that is truly putting their money where their mouth is. So please, once again, check them out at mrmagolf.com and follow them at mrmagolf on Instagram. Here's Jared. Enjoy. You know, I've had a wide range of guests on this podcast, lots of different backgrounds from all over the world, but I think you're the first one calling in from Northern Iowa. Yeah, that sounds about right, Cody. So Jared, first of all, good evening. It's a night recording. I just put the kids down to bed uh, as chaos as that is. I don't know if you have any, if you have kids yet, but it's a absolute whirlwind going on in this house right now. And as soon as the clock turned top of the hour and I was like oh I gotta go record a podcast my wife just glared at me and was like of course you have to right now but I told her I got permission I warned her up front anyway Jared (laughs) welcome to the show how are we doing tonight doing really well I actually had a very similar scenario that you just described so recording in uh the dungeon of my basement not in my office upstairs because our two girls um, are, are pure chaos right now as well. So how old are the girls? Uh, three years old and six months. Uh, well, congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Busy, busy times. The, uh, I have a three-year-old as well and I also have twins that are five. Oh boy. So we're just like, we're one step ahead of you. That's all it is, but all, all girls. So it's, it's just madness as nice and soft and sweet as they can be. Seems like 
every time we turn around to get them ready to go down for bed, it's just like somebody's going to throw a fit. Yep, sounds about right. Well, cool. So, Northern Iowa, calling in from Mason City. Is that where you're from? I actually am from here, yeah, believe it or not. Okay. And I I came back, which is unusual. Well, why did you decide to come back home? Yeah, so it's uh, I guess I don't know how long of a story you want. I'll, I'll chop it up a little bit and go a little bit shorter. Yeah, I moved to Kansas City after college, and was in medical sales there, and and had a, and had a great time. I actually was born in Kansas City and have a ton of family there. My wife um, needed to kind of be in a little bit bigger area. Uh, she was doing a pharmacy residency and um, needed a little bit better hospital, bigger hospital, and we had a ton of fun in Kansas City. My dad's got some. My dad has some health issues. He's got multiple sclerosis, and and um, it was it was time to kind of get back to to northern Iowa, and um, enjoy the good years that he had before. He wasn't able to do the things we like to do, like golf. So, yeah, that was that was kind of the determining factor. Also, you know, I have the opportunity to work with two of my best friends every day. So, um, that were former teammates of mine in college. So I mean that that's kind of what drove us to move to move back uh, to to both where we're from. We're actually both from uh, Mason City. Uh, I tricked her into liking me in high school, and just she, I just I just held on for dear life. So uh, same grade? Nope, she's a year younger than me. Oh okay. Yeah, well, I, was, I was gonna say. Well, I guess it. How many people did you have in your graduating class? Yeah, so Mason City is about twenty five thousand people. The county is about forty five thousand. Um, Listen, yeah. small town people get it. Yeah. You're like, oh, there's not that many people in town, but in the county, okay, yeah. we have a lot of people in the county. Exactly, it's it's important to state the county numbers. <laughs> uh, so there's actually a, a a public school and a private school. My mom taught at the private school, so I actually went there. So it, the number I graduated forty two. Um, a small class. The public school has, a, has, you know, a few more. I suppose they're probably around 250 a class. Yeah, that's incredible. So mm-hmm. uh, you'd say somewhat high school sweethearts. Did you guys? Well, obviously, you went off. You ended up playing college golf, and we're going to get into your background on that. But did you guys stay in touch in college? Did she? I'm guessing she went where? Kansas City or somewhere else? Yeah. So. My my dream was to play Division One golf, and I and I didn't uh, you know I didn't really I didn't really fulfill that goal coming out of uh, coming out of high school. But I ended up at a small school in Davenport, Iowa, called St. Ambrose, and um, she went to Drake University in Des Moines, and then I ultimately transferred to Northern Iowa. And um, yeah, we I mean I tried to break up with her; she wouldn't let me. And <laughs> I remember my dad. My dad and I were driving to the John Deere Classic. And he said, you know, what, what are you doing? Like, you are an idiot, pretty much in so many yeah. words. He didn't really talk to, talk to me too much about girls. Um, but, but he did then, and, and I'm, I'm glad he did. Um, she's way too good for me. So it, I, I'm glad that uh, somebody talked some sense into me. Well, did she get all done with her pharmaceutical school and training and everything? Oh, yeah. Well, good. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't feel bad for you because I'm sure the basement isn't as small as I, I was originally envisioning that. <laughs> it's a dungeon down here. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. St. Ambrose. Pretty mm-hmm. sure that's a, a good old NAIA school, right? Right on. It is. You, you get it. So I think be, before we even get there, like, what was golf like for you growing up? I mean, you mentioned your dad. I'm sure it's something that you guys bond over 
got you started in the game. But, I mean, when did you start playing? What was it like? And, and we'll go from there. I suppose I started playing when I was, I don't know, five, seven years old in there. We had a, uh, you'll like this, we had a, a cornfield next to our house growing up. And so my dad and I, we hit golf balls in there. And, you know, we go pick them up and throw them back in the bucket. And Your then, field? What's that? Was it your guys' field? No, 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 okay. no. Okay. No. Well, whoever um, the neighborhood, the neighbor was, I'm sure he appreciated that you guys were out at least picking up the balls. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, that's that's the thing you got to do. If we got to take care of the land. So pick them, pick them up. We hit them, you pick them up. And then he taught me how to play golf at a, at a nine-hole course not too far away and ultimately ended up joining uh, a, a country club in Mason City, which, you know, take that for what it's worth. Yeah, um, it ultimately became a, a babysitter for me in the summer. And so – um, played in some junior tournaments, didn't play AJGA really for two reasons. Uh, you know, wasn't good enough, number one. And number two, um, couldn't, couldn't really afford to try to make it on there. Um, this is some long, long flights, I'm sure, trying to get yeah. the AJGA events from, from Des Moines. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it was pretty much high school golf, and um, which was a springtime sport in Iowa, which is not ideal. And... And then some summer tournament tournaments around Iowa, and, and then played in some Callaway PGA Junior Series, which were really solid junior events. I'm not even sure if they're still doing them. I don't, I don't know if they are, um, but but that was really the extent of of my junior, like junior golf career. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I think everybody looks at junior golf and you think of the big name tours, and they think that's like the only route that you have to really you know get into college and. Maybe so these days it's probably gotten even worse since definitely you were a junior and I know from when I was, but everything was like locally and regionally based. We had a very small junior circuit in the state of Montana and and when we were lucky, like if we got selected basically to like our all Montana team, we would go up to Alberta and play there junior. And it, it's you're like, you know, golf is done by like August 20th as it is because mm-hmm. you're starting school back up. And I remember, like, never really thinking of of traveling that much. And I, I, I went to one, my first, like, big trip was out to Spokane, Washington. And I remember my mom and dad didn't even go with me. They put me on the train. I got on Amtrak to go by myself. <laughs> and, like, the, the host family that I was staying with was at the other lot, you know, the other end of it, and picked me up at the train station and took me straight to their house and, played a four-day event, and then got back on the train and came home. It's it's surreal now following some of these guys' junior careers and seeing, number one, the resources that it ca- takes to do it. But on the other side of it, too, is that there's a ton of kids who show up that, like, really probably shouldn't be playing in those events because it's just, like, so, like, they're just not at that level yet. And that's what I hate is that you hear all these kids that are like, oh, I played AJGA and stuff like that. And you're like, okay, that's great. But the performance still ha- needs to come from somewhere. Like, they're just not getting the results. It's good to hear that, though. Kind of very similar uh, childhoods. Definitely mm-hmm. at least playing junior golf. So you played high school. How'd that go for you? Uh, high school was great. So I uh, had a great experience. We were, we were able to win two state titles. Granted, that's- Can't beat that. This is the smallest class size in Iowa playing playing golf, and you know having an, a little bit of an advantage being in a in a bigger town than than playing some of the smaller 
smaller towns. So we had a little bit different resources to pull from. Nonetheless, it was a great experience um, to, to win those those state titles uh, with my teammates. We we do we do still talk about it really when when we get when we get together every now and then. So when did you start thinking about college golf? But I was thinking about college golf since I was probably ten years old. Like it was my dream to play Division One golf. It it was my ultimate goal to to get there. Did um, you have a plan? Um, uh, probably not really. Um, at the time you thought you did. I thought I did. Yeah. Uh, I came home from in between my sophomore and senior year. I would come home every single night, and I would I would literally email coaches every single night. <laughs> I bet I emailed. There's over, I think there's 300 Division One programs. I think I over emailed over well over half, and I had no business emailing any of them. But I, I kept doing it. Ignorance is bliss sometimes, Cody. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, you gotta shoot your shot. You never know what's yeah. gonna happen. Were you getting replies back, or were you just getting ghosted? <clears throat> I did. I, I I thought I was gonna get an offer from Northern Colorado, and it didn't happen. You know. I can't remember the coach's name, but he was actually the coach at Stanford when Tiger was there. His first oh. name was Wally. Can't remember his last name. Um, that didn't happen. I went on a visit to Iowa State. That he was like, "You can walk on," which that's they tell everybody that, so that's nothing important. So, and now I I wasn't as probably close as I actually thought I was with some of the schools. Yeah, and of course, out of respect to the the greatest ever from Iowa, you didn't want to go to Drake and, and go with your girlfriend because you wanted to leave all of his school records intact. So I'm sure Zach, Mr. Johnson uh, appreciates it. Zach, Zach is, you know, Zach's Iowan, right? And he's, his story For is sure. awesome. Yeah. And um, how he, you know, he was so under-recruited. And my dad kept telling me this, you know, the Zach story was coming big when I was in high school and obviously he won the Masters then. Um, so. Yeah. He's like, you just got to keep working and keep grinding at it. And I'm like, man, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And, it, uh, it, it, there's not a lot of other stories out there that kind of encapsulate what it's like to be a kid growing up in the Midwest more than his story. Mm -hmm. Like extremely talented, undersized, never really given any opportunities that like his performance probably put him, you know, to at least the level of his peers, what they got. And then ultimately like, okay, so I'll go, I'll stay home. I'll go to this school. I'm going to bust my butt. I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to go start beating it up at every level. And mm -hmm. it's like in incredible. And as long as his career has been now, and I mean, he's still, you know, top 50 players in the world. It's phenomenal. Uh, especially with like the, the new, the way the modern game has come around. Like for a guy who doesn't hit it that far, like it just goes to show hit hit fairways hit enough greens they might be coming in with a little bit longer irons or hybrids but you put the lights out of it you're still going to be good to go mm -hmm. so high school you ended up going to st ambrose how'd you end up there i got really lucky um it, believe it or not so nai program but really solid golf program um there was some some guys that transferred from division one schools there division two schools there was guys that left to go to division one schools and I was excited to get there and and really kind of hang out with that kind of talent and yeah you have to try out though it doesn't matter if you're on a scholarship so I did have a scholarship but like the, our one guy from the previous year still had to try out yeah and so year to top, year yeah to, and which <laughs> hey look let's do it I mean yeah. let's just put the gloves off let's roll and um, top 15 make it. 
or if you shoot under a combined 300, it's four days, so 75 a day, you, you make it. And it was so competitive. Um, and anyway, nonetheless, I needed to shoot like 70 and the final round to do it. And it, we got like six, seven inches of rain in Davenport the night before. And <laughs> coach called it. He's like, hey, I'll take the top 20. And I was, <laughs> and so I got lucky. And then I played well that fall. And I'm like, I'm out of here. So, and, and my dad made me stay though. He said, you got to stay the rest of the year. You know, you got to finish what you started for the year. And um, I totally, I'm glad I did it that way. Um, and so, and then I was, I was able to kind of reach out to some other schools and, and get some offers and ended up at Northern Iowa. Awesome. So what was Northern Iowa like? Best experience of my life. So I ended yeah, up, sure. I ended up being a, I was a preferred walk on um, and, and just what, what an experience. Um, not a very good school, like very mediocre from a division one standpoint. And um, we had some, we had some, you know, luck every now and then where we, we get, you know, finish. Okay. But Missouri Valley conference is obviously an FCF conference. You know, it's not even high, like it's not even mid-major. Uh, <clears throat> so, but nonetheless, it was, it was great. Um, and, and a great experience because of, uh, you know, so many things, and, and it's kind of cliche, but it's true. You know, I'm sure it's similar to the military, right? Like, um, it teaches you a lot about discipline, teaches you a lot about focus, consistency, perseverance. And not only that, is you're a product of your environment. And my teammates were the best teammates in the world. They made me a way better person. And then the final thing about it is, like, those coaches gave me a chance. And what, what that did for me in life is, like, hey, they gave me some confidence and said, hey, we believe in you. Like, not that no one had ever done that for me before, but it was mostly family members. Yeah. Like, hey, we believe in you. Let's we're gonna give you a chance to see what you can do. And I was able to play good enough where I was consistently in the top five. Now, take take us with a grain of salt. It is it is not high level division one golf. You know, I was lucky to shoot seventy three, seventy five, um, in a division one tournament. Nonetheless, um, what what a phenomenal experience. Yeah, for sure. And I bet probably looking back on it, as much as you talk about golf and everything that you learned and improving your scores, it probably taught you a whole lot more about the Jared that you are now. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. What were the group of guys with that you went to school? A bunch of guys like me from rural Iowa that no one no one gave a chance to. So um, we, had a, we had a kid from Kyoto, Iowa, population like 500. Um, played football, basketball, baseball, golf, couldn't break 80, but for some reason that our coach gave him a chance and he, he was our one man for two years in a row, ended up turning pro, uh, wow. and I played on the, on the Dakotas tour a little bit and made a little bit of money, but it, nonetheless, it's like, you know, well, it, it's kind of counterintuitive to what we spoke about earlier with AJGA. Um, there's two schools of thoughts with it, right? I'm biased because... I, I played more than one sport in high school, and I think it's vitally important to be well-rounded um, going into college to specialize in one sport. And my, my point is, is that you know he he worked his tail off, and he was he was really athletic and talented, and he was able to be a really good golfer because of that. Um, just a bunch of just guys that like to you know maybe drink too much beer, and but also love to work hard at the game of golf, and um, we push each other pretty hard though. What was it like, I guess, I'm trying to think of facilities-wise, practice, normal routines, travel schedules, 
You know, what, what, what does that kind of look like for a program at Northern Iowa? Yeah. So if we were flying, uh, we had to drive between two and four hours to an airport then get on a Southwest flight and then make Is it coach w- booking everything for you guys, or are you doing it yourself? We had, we have somebody at the, at the pro in the athletic department that books all that. Okay. And then, you know, no less than two connections. Yep. Um, or one or one at the very, very least. And if not two, if, if we're driving, it's a rented 15 passenger van. Didn't even, wasn't even a school van. Um, I remember, you know, driving to Arkansas or driving to Oklahoma, rented 15 passenger vans. Now they, they have upgraded since I've been there. They have, they have what everyone else has now, it seems, with the custom Sprinter vans, um, which okay. are really sharp. But, yeah, I mean, it wasn't easy, but I don't think that any of that crossed any of our minds. Yeah. And it was just the the bond and the brotherhood and, yep. hey, we're going to – we're just it don't matter. Like, hey, we're, we're all in it together. It don't matter. This is the be- probably the best time of your life. Yeah, and Cody, one time we were playing – we were late at to the University of Minnesota – which Minnesota won a national title in the mid 2000s. And so there was a hurricane in Houston. And so, and so Rice couldn't make it. And so we were a late ad. And, you know, we, we were driving up there from Cedar Falls, Iowa, and um, rented 15 passenger van. We, we roll in late. And while, you know, SMU's probably in their private plane on top of us and <laughs> a few other, you know, a few other programs. And we didn't care. We roll out in shorts for the practice round. Uh, Cat, Cat, this is at spring. Spring Hill and, and outside Minneapolis and Caddy whisks us after we get off the van and says, Hey, you know, I need to see all your spikes. And, you know, we had to change our spikes. And then they're like, Oh, by the way, you obviously didn't get the memo, but it's pants only. And so we had to roll. So we were at Nike school, which we probably could have been fine for this, but college golf, no one cares. We, we had to roll to Coles to get pants because we were wearing shorts and it's like, Hey, coach is like all right you got twenty dollars <laughs> twenty dollars to go to Coles to get some pants that by the way we wore for all three days without yeah. being washed hit the so. hit the sales rack boys oh yeah yep yeah it's a different world right oh yeah totally totally different you still in touch with those guys oh yeah absolutely I mean it's one of them is my boss today at my day job and one of them is my best friend and um, they're both not from the area, but they both moved to 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 North Iowa, and um, two of my other teammates are I'm very close with. Um, yeah, it's they were all at my wedding, and it's it's just something that that I'll have for the rest of my life. So, what'd you end up studying in college? Business management, you know, typical. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, how'd you? I guess convince them to everybody to move to Mason City. They, so they got here. They got here before, before I did. So <clears throat> it's it's a it's an interesting story. So my my dad is is the CEO of a small company in, in in North Iowa, and he's worked his nuts off to get to where he's at today. And when I was a kid, he would wake up literally. He would wake up at two in the morning to go into work. Right. So I I want to provide some context. That it's not all. It's not flashy because it's certainly yeah. not. But he hired. Um, Kyle, and, and as an engineer, when Kyle decided that he wasn't going to pursue professional golf anymore, um, and Kyle's wife is from the area, and so okay. he said, "Hey, look, come come work come work here." So he did, and then he and then one of my my best friends 
was in sales and he's like, hey, in Kansas City, I'm looking for a sales opportunity. And so then he was able to hire him. So my dad knew knew both of my teammates, obviously from college golf and was able to get them on board. And and then I, I finally came in and um, been able to work with those guys. And it's been nothing but a blast. So you got the team back together. But before you came there, you said you were in Kansas City. Yeah. So what what did you do after school? I was in medical sales. You know, like if you have Division One athlete on your resume, it's super easy <laughs> to get a, a medical sales job. And, you know, I probably wasn't qualified to do it. Actually, no, not probably. I wasn't qualified to do it. So somebody reached out to me and said, hey, look, you got an opportunity. Are you interested in them? Absolutely. So that was an awesome opportunity. Um, what you got to live in the big city. Yeah, it was great. We loved it. Wow. So how long have you been back home then? It's been six years now. Been a challenge. Um, what is it like, I guess, moving back home? Because it's obviously, it's not like you came back straight after college. You know, you went and you did your own stuff for a while, and then you came home preparing to, you know, in a relationship, making the steps that you need to do. But you're still moving, moving home. Yeah, it's, I mean, some days are really good and some days are just like, why did I do this or why did we do this? Um, I think my wife has those days more than I do. Being being a pharmacist and an inpatient, she sees, she's had a lot of tough experiences, especially with COVID. And, and people may not know this, and, and that's fine because I didn't know it until I started, you know, until I was with her, is that if you're a pharmacist and you're an uh, inpatient pharmacist, you're, and there's a code in the hospital, you're, you're likely one pharmacist is attending that code to administer or help administer drugs. And so she, she saw some people that she, you know, that she knew and during COVID that did not make it, and she, she was in the room, and that was tough for her. Being a provider in her hometown, she's like, it's just a strange dynamic, yeah. and I'll bet it is. And for me, it's, it's all right. The... I do live in a little bit of a shadow, which uh, it is what it is, I guess. Um, it, it, it's 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 a great a great place to raise a family. Um, I worry about a few things, but I guess you're always going to worry about things no matter where you're living. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I always think it's interesting when you talk to people and the same things that. Most of the time, people were so anxious and ready to move away from are also part of the reasons that you get the pull back. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, probably from being a small town and having big dreams and and hopes and and everything, you know, the world's at your fingertips when you're in high school and you just can't wait to launch out of there and go grab the world by the balls and figure something out. And then, you know, it takes a couple years and then you realize, you know, it wasn't that bad thinking about having a family. You know, I had a really good childhood. I liked the small town aspect, what the community provided, which is not really what you get in a lot of big cities. The communal side of it is just kind of missing. And I wonder specifically to golf, because I know you spent a ton of time as a kid growing up. You talked about the little country club that you guys grew up at that your your dad ended up joining but was that draw part of what was bringing you home too is because you you I guess envision raising your kids there and teaching them how to play and kind of doing it the exact same way that your old man did 
Yeah, I think that's probably that's definitely part of it subliminally, right? Yeah. Um yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean it's you have pictures of things in your life about things that some some come true and some don't. I would say that that's probably the case for us as well. Um, it is great living in a smaller community um, that's a little bit more tight-knit than I think it definitely was in Kansas City. We love Kansas City. Um, Kansas City is fantastic. Uh, we didn't want to get caught in a rat race, I suppose, yeah. um, which is not – that's just not Kansas City. That's, that's everywhere. We have it in our town too, but yeah. it's going to be less of it. And so I think that that was, that was part of it. Um, I, I mean, so how do you, I guess, how do you, uh, how do you control that? How do you make sure that you're, you know, sticking to your goals, your guys' timelines, everything else like that, and not try to worry about what Johnny up the street's doing or, you know, Cindy's uh, talking about building a new house, and next thing you know, it's just like, you know, everybody's trying to keep up with the Joneses around here. Uh, that's a great question. And whoever has the answer to that question or <laughs> thinks that they have the code cracked, I would like to know. Um, I, I think, um, you know, you have to be comfortable with who, with who you are as a person. Um, you have to have confidence in who you are as a person and understand that other people have different things in life and they have different, they're at different stages in life. And I also think perspective is a huge thing. Um, like I don't get too, too wound up about things that are, that go bad or some things go really well. I don't get too necessarily too excited. Maybe, um, perspective is a big deal. Like we're just a, a tiny little human on this moving rock. There's so many more people that have actual problems or things to solve than, than we do. Um, you know, what we're fortunate. Um, my, my wife and I are for sure. And of course there's somebody's always gonna have something better than us. Um, no matter somebody's always, you know, somebody's gonna have, if you're worth a billion dollars, you want to be worth five, you want to be, yeah. you know, five billion, you want to be worth 10. I and mean, when does it end? So I think Charlie Munger had a really good quote about this. Essentially it was about greed, um, which that maybe plays some part in this, I suppose. Yeah. Do you think, is this something that's kind of always been intertwined in your personality or a lot of it's just something that you've picked up over time? And I would probably make an assumption here and a little leap in saying that, you know, the business and, and the way that your dad lived his life and is still living his life, but then with hardship and everything else comes, it teaches you a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I started getting perspective when I got to college about a lot of things in life, um, a, a lot, and not just golf, not just you know school, but just everything. And, and that was a, and that was a big deal. And I think one of the things that that first kind of opened me up to, I guess, on certain perspectives is my job in Kansas City. The the founder was a, a spinal cord injury patient, and he has a T seven spinal cord, and he was obviously in a wheelchair. But man, did that guy live life. And he was the most humble, caring, hardworking dude. And he changed the lens of how I looked at a lot of things. And then subsequently, my dad got diagnosed with MS. And it, again, it changed the lens of how I looked at things. 
Um, so it's it's easier said than done. Like the perspective is gaining that perspective is not always easy, but taking a step back and understanding, you know, where you're at in the world is, I think, a really important, healthy exercise. Yeah, could not agree anymore. So you moved back home. Did you get right back into the normal club scene, out there playing with your guys? I wish. Um, honestly, it was like a tough couple of years when we when we moved back. Um, not, I don't have a, I don't have a lot of high school buddies. Um, my high school class was interesting. Um, there, there's an interesting high school class. Let's just put it like that. And so it was, it was almost like moving to a different city, but you knew everything about it because you, you, we didn't really have a lot of close friends, but. That, that luckily changed over time and so yeah we didn't we didn't we weren't able to or I wasn't able to get right back in the mix on golf but um and I was still honestly burnt out so I didn't really start playing until two years ago again three years ago so it's been a it's it was an interesting dynamic moving back right away for sure why did you decide to start playing again I don't know what happened I just got the bug um one of my one of my close friends now was a was a baseball player and, and didn't really play much golf, but he got huge into golf. And I'm and he's telling me like what he's shooting and I'm like, There's no way that like, he's that he's like, you know, shooting like seventy, seventy two, seventy four. Like I I gotta see it. And so the competitive juices just started flowing again and it felt natural. And um and want to get back out and start playing. So that's how, that's kind of how we got back in the mix. But he pushed me to get back to I don't know anything about equipment anymore. I used to know everything about equipment. And I couldn't tell you really like the first thing about equipment unless I got to really get in there and research it. But it's just it's just funny how that shakes out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, too, is that after a long break like that, I kind of did a similar thing when I was going through all my training. And then you get back out there again and you're like, oh, man, like I – I'm envisioning this shot. Like exactly. everything feels the same, but like the shot, the shots is not there. I don't know what's going on. What happened? Right. You immediately. For some reason you think that it's like going to be right back there and nope, that's golf. Mm -hmm. It's also funny that you decided to pick it right back up again, right around the time of the birth of your guys' first kid. Yeah. Maybe that's why <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I got to leave the house today. I got to go play nine. Holes. <laughs> yeah. It's probably about right. Uh, that's good. So eventually, you're working your job, you're back home, you're settled in with kids. Why did you decide to start a newsletter? Oh, man. I, I, was, I was finishing my MBA at, at the University of Iowa and taking a class in entrepreneurship and innovation. And the instructor really insisted on the class writing online. And at that time, that meant absolutely nothing to me. Um, and I was like, all right, you know, I'll give it a, I'll give it a chance. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it for six months. And I'm just going to try to get a hundred people to read this thing. And then it'll go, I'll follow it away in my brain as something that I did. And, you know, I, I won't ever do it again. Um, and so that's really how I got the idea to, to start it, uh, a newsletter. And, I love business. I, I thoroughly enjoy business, probably to, you know, almost to, I'm probably too annoying to my friends about business. Obviously love golf. 
um, for a lot of reasons that other people love it as well. And so I tried to merge the two together and um, just started writing to nobody online. Nobody was reading it, and that's I, th- you know, no, not many people are reading it still. But what um, was the was this the first idea? Yeah. Well, that's good. It means you're sticking to it. Yeah, that's yeah. Consistency, I think, is key to a lot of things in life. Oh. Like it's been proven here. I can tell you that I didn't. I wasn't a believer really in certain things until now. The newsletter that we're talking about is called Perfect Putt. For people who are have never heard of this before, please visit Jared's Twitter account. I think it's probably the the easiest way that you can get to subscribe to the newsletter. I'll link everything in the show notes. But from one class that you took in your MBA program. I think everybody has dreams, thinks they can be an entrepreneur. Everybody wants to start something, but putting the pieces together, being consistent with it and continuing is definitely where the majority, the vast, vast, vast majority of people absolutely fail at. So my thing here is, did you ever write anything before outside of college papers? No. Okay. (laughs) So why not? The second question I'd have here is that good on you because I hated, hated writing in college, hated it, but it's now something that, you know, I, I hate saying that I'm not good at something and I like a challenge and why not do that? You know, because it's got, at the end of the day, it's going to make me better. But when starting a newsletter, you need like emails. Where, Where did you pull all these? Did you just go through whatever your your Gmail address book and start randomly blasting it to people. That would have been smart. I wasn't even that smart <laughs> to think about that. <laughs> I've heard people do that after, you know, after I started. Now I am ignorance is bliss, Cody. I fired up my Twitter account that I started in 2018. I had like 50 some followers maybe. And I just started tweeting and nobody, I was getting like, if I posted a link, I would get like maybe two link clicks. I was jacked up about it. I mean, it took me, I think, almost three months just to get a hundred people to read it. And it was like every day I was slogging to get maybe just one new sign up. And so it was driven primarily from Twitter. Well, we're going on it now. How many newsletters have you done? It's 70, right around 70. I think the, what I find to be the most fascinating thing about it is the, the, the perfect amount of teasing that you do via Twitter. It sets the framework for everything that you want right up until the hook, and it forces you and drives traffic, hopefully, to the newsletter. But just like anything else, there are levels of success. And when you're teaching yourself something in a new business, I mean, first of all, it, trying to figure out how how are you counting, you know, link clicks to getting people to the to the newsletter and trying to monitor read time if they're going through the complete newsletter then okay are they sharing it okay how many new subscribers am i getting what's the churn rate on that where are you learning all this stuff how are you teaching all this stuff because that's that's the meat that i want to get to but by trial and error and then also i got you know it's it's I guess maybe it's create your own luck is what some would say. I would just say I was flat out lucky. I just, I was so ignorant that I just kept showing up 
And then a few people started reaching out to me. Um, that like Jeff Shackelford, right? He reached out to me like early on for whatever reason I don't know. And Jeff's a super nice guy, and he he helped me out and he gave me some pointers and he's he just flat out helped me out. Um, and then like another guy that's got a huge newsletter and he's like, hey, look, this is you know you're doing a great job and this is where I think you should focus on and um. And I also asked some people for some help as well and ended up in this, like, Twitter group of, of people. Twitter's – I don't know, Cody. I, I want to go down a rabbit hole, but Twitter is awesome. <laughs> and at the yes. same time, it's accessible. It is the most interesting tool in the world. Um, well, it all depends on where, you know – I always think about it like a house. It mm-hmm. all depends on where you want to build your house at, you know, and you can, you can make – you can search out and find the best community that you possibly can. Or if you want to be the guy that, you know, goes out and, and wants to meet and mingle and go and, and throw grenades at other people, like, don't expect them, you know, they're going to come back into your neighborhood and mess things up too. So create your own reality in there. And that's where I think a lot of people get uh, probably tur- completely turned off by social media in general. But I'm, I'm right there with you. I think it's a phenomenal tool. And, and that's what... I, it was about December of last year when I finally learned of how powerful Twitter could be if I tune out all the noise. Like, you know, get get every get every political group that you, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, get it out of there. Because if you agree with it, you're just going to get down the, the comments on that. If you disagree with it, you're going to get down the comments on that. And it's just going to suck your time. So I ended up creating a bunch of lists and um, have been working off that and got sucked into a Twitter group of, um, guys that are a lot smarter than I am, um, way like way more successful and just 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 sharper than I am, and so that that was cool to bounce ideas off of them, and they've helped me along the way. But really, I mean, Cody, it's like peer learning. I think is so important in life. Doesn't matter what you're doing, if you can get peers to help you out with something, you, you're and you can be consistent. You're gonna you're gonna be okay. A hundred percent agree. The business of golf. There's a, a ton of different directions you could go with that. And I'm talking about different OEMs acquiring other companies, how your local clubs or, you know, I guess high net worth ownership committees reach out and purchase new clubs. It, like, it, it's amazing the topics that you cover. And I think there's like, a, it can probably become a little overwhelming at times just because there's a million different directions that you can go with it, but trying to figure out the focus of it and what you're actually going to dive into. And a lot of times, some of these things, there's like not a ton of information that's like readily available. It's out there. You just got to dig for it. And then trying to put it all together in clear, coherent thoughts that your readers will actually enjoy and learn something from. Yeah. It's not easy to create content. You know, I thought it was going to be a lot easier before I started this and it it's not. And if I didn't have a full-time job, I think I would be able to dive into some subjects and provide even more analysis, but I just don't really have the time. So whenever I get into something, I, the first thing I ask myself is how difficult will this be to research? What I mean by that is, is it going to take me five to 10 hours to research? If it, if it takes me that, then I'm probably okay doing it. Anything more than that, I, I'm not going to be able to do. I'm just, I wish I could, um, but I can't overextend myself and burn myself out. Um, and I try to stay some current with some events. And 
like golf has been so good to us this year with the content that's been out there. I mean, um, like we're so lucky if you think about it. Um, but I also wanted to make sure that I wasn't watering down some of the subjects. There's a lot of people that do things a lot better than I do. And I've covered things way better than I could ever cover. And so with like live in the PGA tour, I tried to take a step back and let the people who are really good at it. For example, like the no laying up guys, you got like, they're going to do a way better job with their analysis and their takes on it than I would. So when I come in, I look at that. I'm like, all right, let me, let me steel man their business model and see if it actually works. And I can do that in five to 10 hours. And so that's the angle that I try to take at it um, versus I guess some of the other things where I'm just quite frankly, not as good, not near as good as other people. What have you learned so far doing this in the business of golf? It, um, from the business side of golf about golf or what have I learned about? Well, I, I think let's learn about what, what you're doing. The newsletter, the newsletter uh-huh. business. I guess what I've learned so far, I'll take that two different ways. So I think golf has never been better from a business standpoint. Golf entertainment, I think, is just starting to scratch the surface right now. And while people I, – I love Top Golf, Cody, and, and I, when I write about Top Golf, if I do a thread or if I do a newsletter piece on it, I'll get messages back like, how much are they paying you? And the answer is zero. Yeah. Their business model and what they're doing is absolutely incredible. And people are like, it's way too expensive. And the answer I always give is, look, they're growing. They're adding new venues. They're profitable. They're going to keep charging what people are willing to pay. Yep. That's just supply and demand. And, and so uh, anywhere you go, you're still waiting on a bay to hit in. Exactly. And I, and Top Golf, what they've done to open up a complete, a completely new industry within golf is absolutely incredible. And you're seeing all these little other things pop up along the way. You know, the mini golfs of the world, you know, that pop stroke with Tiger. And um, then you're starting to see a lot of the indoor golf and it's being commercialized. And I'll be honest, a lot of it looks pretty cool. Like yeah. in, in town golf club, which I think is like eight grand to join, which that's a lot of money. But if you think about what they're trying to do and create a community where you can go in there on a Sunday and watch football with some buddies and maybe hit a few shots in the simulator and, you know, maybe have a couple couple cocktails. That sounds like fun. Now, eight grand, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. And, and then you're starting to look at, and this is early, so I have recency bias. I will acknowledge that. But if you look at threes, which 8 a.m. golf just uh, purchased with Justin Timberlake, like what an idea, by yeah. the way. They're going to commercialize par three golf, and that industry could be absolutely massive how big that is. And by the way, in this grow the game thing gets talked about a lot. I get it. But that is what this – that's what it actually looks like because you're introducing people to – a game that the the general public that doesn't play it thinks is stuffy is for rich people and is very expensive to play. And we go to, you know, you go pay $26 to go play at threes in Greenville, South Carolina and under the lights and have a couple beers. You're going to think about golf differently. Yeah, that's, that's spot on. I think my biggest concern, and I'm sure that they've of course thought through all this is that, when I look of, at, at large municipalities and city centers where I would envision threes eventually going, it all comes back to space mm-hmm. and the cost for that space. And I, I get that it works in Greenville. 
there's something very similar in Raleigh um, called Knights Golf Center. And I just, I think that's where it's going to come down to. But I also, on the business side of it, I'll say, you you know, you can't get better investment than 8 a.m. and then having Justin Timberlake behind it and who's clearly passionate about golf and passionate about every single one of his business ventures. It's the same thing that we talk about when we, you know, people talk about Top Golf and Callaway's role in that. And now it's like, you know, Top Golf, it, it, it not only is Callaway, but it's the most profitable avenue of Callaway golf. And then you look at Rory's investment, and then you look at Tiger's investment and Pop Stroke and everything else. I'm like, well, a lot of people don't realize or think that like Roy McIlroy is, is probably like the most business mind guys, but he undoubtedly is one of the most successful investors from an athlete perspective right now. Yes, and will be whatever records that are out there from. From MJ, from Arnie, from who, who names it athletes in the past, Roy is is guaranteed, unless something drastically changed right now, the way that he has positioned himself is absolutely incredible. I co- completely agree. And if you look at, if you go to Symphony Ventures and, and you just look at the investments that he's had, he's an incredibly sophisticated investor looking from the outside, right? I don't have obviously any financial details. I wish I did on some of them, but he's built a great team around him and there's a very good possibility that he will be the richest golfer of all time yep. when it's all said and done. And 95% of that will come from off the course. Yeah. And it's yeah. pretty insane to think about. And people think they're like, Oh, well, I'm never going to visit one of the ranges or anything else like that. I'm like, well, you know, it's any section, any local club that holds an event and like, Oh, okay. So how are you doing your, your scoring? Because right. Roy's, Roy's an investor in it. Yeah. Like he, he, yeah. He, yeah. He, he's ahead. I, 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 that's what I, it blows my mind. It's phenomenal. He's a, it's, it's a genius. Mm. And what it, what's that turned into in him making these decisions in turn has completely, like for him, been able to lighten his load and to focus on golf because he doesn't have as many corporate responsibilities anymore because he's not worried about his cor- corporate partnerships in order to fund his everyday life or mm-hmm. to worry about the next generation. He's worried about like making money now for like four generations down the line without yeah. live money. It, exactly. Um, what Tiger and Rory are doing with tomorrow sports is very interesting to me. Um, obviously they spun the TGL up off of that. Yep. But if, if somebody's, they're going to spin other leagues up off of this as well. I don't, I don't have, I can't confirm that exactly, but just from what I'm looking at and from what I'm understanding and reading between the lines, that is what they're going to do. Look at the board of directors and look at the advisors that they brought on. Yeah, they have, um, obviously their CEO is, he's not going to leave where he was at and go to tomorrow sports. They are going to try to be a billion dollar company. And they, they, I'm not saying they're going to do it, but what they're, what they're doing is, um, going to be very unique. And five, ten years from now, we're going to sit there and think about how obvious it was. And that's big-name stuff. There's yeah. plenty of other uh, topics within the world of golf that you cover. And, again, I think the the amount of time that you're putting into it, knowing that it's your, your secondary gig with a full plate of not only husband but dad responsibilities and 
everything else that goes with it. It's truly incredible. So I guess what, like, what do you want the newsletter to turn into? What is the future of it? I I have no idea, honestly. Um, And I got that question asked, you know, like a year ago. And maybe it's because I have so much, or maybe because there's so much going on that I only look at like the the month in front of me is, is why I have bad blinders with it. Cody, I honestly, I mean, if I make money off it from sponsors, great. But, like, that is not the goal. And um, I don't think people realize how hard it is to actually make a living off ad money. Like, there's it's so there's only so many people that can, like, there's just a small fraction of people that actually can do it. Um, I'm just going to keep trying to provide really good content um, on a weekly basis. And one of the things that I get a joy out of that I really – I really like is the people that I've been able to talk to and, and meet that are a hell of a lot smarter than me, like CEOs of major golf organizations that I've been able to have discussions with and people around the world that I've had discussions with that are starting this golf company and starting that golf company. And what do I think? And it, it honestly humbles me that they ask me my opinion. Um, and, and that is one of the things that keeps me going is this, is that the golf space is so contagious right now. Um, the energy is, if you just take out some of the bad juju, which is, you know, there's some bad energy and everything you, and you look at, but the golf, the golf space has never been better. And it's so contagious right now what people are building. And, um, I really love talking to those people and I love learning about their businesses. And I love trying to maybe, if I can't help them, give them a pointer here and there. If I can't, I just love learning about their business. So that's really my goal. Just Try to keep meeting people and and uh, keep providing a good weekly newsletter, and hopefully playing a little bit of golf yourself. Right on, <laughs> gotta play golf. Are you getting out that much in the summer? Yes. So maybe one if one for sure, and two if I'm lucky. Great okay. thing about rural Iowa, Cody, is it doesn't it's easy. You just walk on. You know, <laughs> you, you you get out of the car in the parking lot. You just walk to the first tee and and put a peg in the ground and let the ball fly. Are you back to the point with your love affair with golf that you're playing in events and stuff? I would like to play in more events. Um, but time is the issue with, with that. So when, when I can play around my own schedule, it's a little bit different, right? But when I have to – I had played in one event this summer, and, I, man, it was awesome. Like I had the juices pumping. I was reading putts again. Like I had the plumb bob out. I looked, you know, <laughs> like an idiot, and it was great. Uh, I had a ton of fun doing that. So I'd like to get out and start competing again, maybe in some Iowa golf events. Oh, that's awesome. I, uh, I wish nothing but the best for you, the family, the newsletter, but more, most importantly, the, the golf game, because everybody needs an outlet out there, especially when you got a young family, man. That's the same thing I am. The trenches are, t- are tough, man. You got to find some sort of release. Right on. Have you been playing much golf then? Uh, unfortunately, no, but, but we, I, I'm also one that when I'm home, I'm home and we very lucky the opportunity and, and the job that I have that we get to travel quite a bit and we get to play some really good golf. So I'm definitely good. getting my fill in. Good. That's fantastic. You're right about that. It's, it, you gotta have a, another hobby or else, you know, things are just gonna, you know, they're not going to look as pretty at, yeah. at some point. So, um, yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on Cody. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you. Yeah, absolutely.